0: This is an AMI podcast. Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. Canada is really coming out of hibernation. Spring's coming on strong. Lily has some myth-busting facts she's going to share with us that may have you doing some of your own fact-checking. She's going to blow the top off of nine common misperceptions we have about animals. I'm going to talk about some of my favorite places to camp in Canada and then get into the different types of camping technology from basic tents to glamping to truck campers, all the way up to our new travel trailer. Come on, Lewis, let's go find Lily and get schooled. Again. Getting Schooled with Miss Lily. Hey, Lily, what have you been up to?
1: Uh, you know, debunking animal myths on the internet.
0: Is that right?
1: Yeah, no, turns out we're just full of misinformation, aren't we?
0: So uh, am I sensing a little quiz coming on here?
1: Not so much to test your knowledge about animals, but more about whether you too have fallen prey to the myths.
0: Oh, well, Mm -hmm. let's get on it then.
1: Okay, This myth number one. Bears hibernate. Ask anyone which animal comes to mind when they hear the word hibernate, and their response will most likely be a bear. Uh, It may be common to picture a burly, fattened up black bear slumbering away. Uh, This follows with the dangerous misconception that sleeping bears are nearly impossible to arouse during the winter months.
0: We, We should test that next winter.
1: Oh, yeah? Should yeah. we? Right. Yeah,
0: i will get Theo to go down with a microphone.
1: Well, uh, true hibernation occurs <laughs> when an animal drastically lowers their body temperature to nearly match their surroundings and sleeps through the winter. Hibernating animals, like woodchucks, appear lifeless and are not easily awakened. Bears, on the other hand, exhibit torpor, a short-term reduction in body temperature accompanied by lethargy, Heart rate drops, but not as much as that of true hibernators.
0: I guess we just always assume that the hibernator, because you don't see big black furry bears running around in the wintertime, they'd be so easy to spot, right, against all the white snow. Maybe they know that, so they just sort of take cover.
1: True or false, goldfish have a three-second memory span.
0: I don't know about goldfish, but I've had a lot of interactions with fish over the years, and I can tell you, they'll they'll follow my lure for minutes sometimes. And we have underwater footage of, of fish following and examining lures for long periods of time.
1: Well, contrary to popular belief, behavioral studies show that goldfish can associate sounds with feeding times. Oh. They operate tiny levers and even recognize their owner's presence. Each of these behaviors requires a lengthier memory span than three seconds.
0: Well, for sure, when mom feeds the uh, fish in the fish tank every morning, they, they know, they oh, know they what's know. going on. Oh, oh yeah. they know. Totally.
1: Every morning, they just <laughs> bolt to the top and they're like, Food. Uh, Mama! <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, this is myth number three. Yeah. About wasps. Hmm. Leave them alone and they'll leave you alone.
0: I always tell you guys that so you don't panic.
1: Yeah, but it's not true. Although this may be general rule for furry bumblebees, wasps like yellow jackets have been known to sting unprovoked. Mm -hmm. Factors such as proximity to nest, season, and former unrelated injury can result in aggression.
0: Late in the summer, wasps are the most gnarly, ornery ones of the bunch.
1: I hate them so much. I hate wasps. Number four, bulls are enraged by the color red.
0: I don't think so. I mean, if it was a color issue, all those hunters going into the forest with their bright orange on every fall would be trampled to death by moose and deer and- This
1: is bulls, dad.
0: Well, you Why know, would it be animals moose? are animals.
1: Well, this myth originated in Spanish bullfighting. In fact- It is the swift motion of the red cloth used by the matadors in bullfighting arenas that cause the bull to charge. Studies suggest that bulls, like many animals, are actually colorblind. You know, they say black
0: bears are technically legally blind as well as colorblind. They really depend on their hearing and their smell.
1: Do they have like handicap signs when they park at the grocery stores, Dad? (laughs) Legally blind?
0: They don't need to. They can park wherever they want.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, number five. Head lice have a preference for dirty hair.
0: No, 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 no. Because, I mean, you can keep your dog clean and your cat. And and fleas, if they're anything like lice, fleas don't care. They'll get on anything.
1: Okay, well, head lice were once thought to thrive primarily in oily, dirty hair. Sometimes after, it was believed that the parasitic insect actually preferred cleaner hair because it allowed for easier mobility. Neither of these assumptions are true. The common louse... Likes your hair no matter when you last showered. Yuck. Myth number six, touching a baby bird will cause its mother to abandon it.
0: You know, as, as kids growing up, me and my buddies, we all thought that. And then every time we found little baby birds, you know, on the ground below trees, we always said, oh, don't touch them, don't touch them. The, the mothers will reject them. And then if you saw some kid pick one up, you realize that bird was toast. You'd take it home and you'd nurture it. And you'd feed it until we finally figured out that was all a parlor hogwash.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, the falsehood that mother birds will abandon their offspring is derived from the belief that birds can pick up on human scent. Yeah. In fact, most birds have a rather poor sense of smell and are unlikely to readily abandon their young. This doesn't mean, however, that you should go picking up every baby bird you find. No. But young, seemingly helpless birds often have their mothers close by, carefully watching number seven Daddy long legs are the most venomous spiders. I never, I always knew they were harmless. They
0: are. They're amazing. I hate those
1: things. They're so creepy. They're not even real spiders. I
0: know, but they walk on water. How cool is that? They
1: don't. Yeah, they do. No, they don't. You're you're, You're mistaken. That's not true. Yeah, I've seen them. No, you haven't. You're thinking my own
0: blindy some- eyes. You're
1: thinking of something else. The- Daddy long legs do not walk on water.
0: if I'm thinking of water striders?
1: Yeah, you're thinking of water striders, <laughs> as is in the name. But <laughs>
0: well, d- they look the same to me.
1: <laughs> um, but Daddy Longlegs is actually a nickname most commonly given to a few familiar critters Most commonly the Harvest Man, which is even creepier I'm, Ooh, yeah.
0: The Harvest Man's coming for you
1: I know, it sounds like a horror movie, I oh, swear yeah. Lots of people think that Daddy Longlegs are the most venomous spiders in the world Harvest Men have no venom glands
0: They sound like the perfect pet
1: Yeah, you go keeping that around, I'm sure Mom will love you forever <laughs> uh, Number eight, bats are blind
0: Blind as a bat, we all knew that
1: there you go, Dr. <laughs> Seuss. The common misconception that bats are blind still exists. Though some bats have poor eyesight, they're certainly not blind, and many bats can see as well as humans.
0: So being blind as a bat is not a bad thing, necessarily.
1: Well, don't take it as a compliment.
0: No, I guess not.
1: Okay, uh, number nine. Camels store water in their humps. Absolutely. No. No? No, it's, I knew this. For a long time. Really? Because I was a well-cultured child. Mm -hmm. Uh, Camels actually store fat, not water. So it's kind of like the fatty tissue under human skin. These reservoirs of fat allow camels to survive for days in the desert.
0: So it's a food thing, not a water thing. Yeah. They still have to drink.
1: Well, let's be honest here. Did you actually think that those things carried waters like some weird waterbed? Did you really think that? No. Okay.
0: Hey, thanks, Lily.
1: Thanks to the Sierra Club for these nine myth-busting facts.
0: Time for the bucket list. Here's seven of my favorite places to camp in Canada, in no particular order. Algonquin Park. True wilderness. Beautiful lakes. Short portages. No white water, just canoe, carry, canoe, carry, canoe. And I like it because I'm not just piling in a bunch of stuff, setting up camp and then breaking camp and then piling it back out again. I'm going somewhere. I'm sleeping overnight and I'm packing up and I'm going somewhere else the next day. And when you plan a trip right in Algonquin Park, you can get back in three or four lakes away from where you parked your vehicle. The more portages you do, the further away you get from your vehicle, the less people there are. And the way they set the whole thing up, they only put campsites on one side of any lake. So no matter where you are, you don't see the neighbors beside you, and you don't see anyone on the other side of the lake. It's just you, your campfire, and the stars. Ile d'Orléans. This is a historic island just outside Quebec City, located in the middle of the St. Lawrence River. It's a long island of about 15 kilometers and maybe a kilometer and a half across. Lots of historic things to see there. Old boatyards where everyone used to park their luxury sailboats during the off season. And tons of great entrepreneurs making beers and honey and great artwork. But what I like the most is there's a campsite there where you can back right up to the shore of the St. Lawrence River. And enjoy the ocean-going ships coming and going, cruising just off the shore. I'll tell you, sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear the waves from the ship crashing up onto the shore and the rumble of their engine. You think it's coming right in at you. Bedeck, Cape Breton. Bedeck is right there as soon as you get onto Cape Breton Island off the mainland of Nova Scotia. You can make a few different turns at that point. You can go one way and go down the Cabot Trail, which is absolutely gorgeous. Stunning vistas, drop-offs. I'll tell you, it takes a solid driver to make that road and a good stomach as a traveler because that road's going up and down and left and right. Just be careful when you get out. That first step may be a doozy. The other things around Bedeck, though, after you've done the Cabot Trail... There's the uh, Graham Bell Museum, which is just an amazing museum, all about the inventions of Graham Bell. There's the Bradore lakes. There's five main Brador lakes on Cape Breton Island. And in total, those lakes cover more of the island than the actual land itself. These are actual inland seas. Some of them have the same level of salt water as the ocean, because they're directly connected to the ocean, some are saltier, and one is even fresh. So it's a real mixed bag, but beautiful for sailing. Hey, I was there once when Paul McCartney came in with his yacht. Bay of Funday. This is my last stop on the East Coast, but there's many other places to go for sure. Why the Bay of Funday? It's just rugged beauty. And there's nothing more amazing than just sitting on a gravelly beach in the fog, in the cool summer air, and just listening to the waves coming closer and closer. It's got a tide of about 12 to 20 feet. you imagine the water coming up 20 feet deeper? Well, it not only comes up and gets deeper, but it rolls up the beach quite quickly. You can hear it advancing on you. There's a river nearby where at one point, when the tide's going out, the waterfall is going in one direction. And when the tide's coming back in, the falls reverse and go in the other direction. There's also something else that's pretty cool in that area. And that's the magnetic hill. You can park your car on the hill and you roll uphill. Get out of your car, walk downhill. It's an effort. Turn around, walk back up. It's easy. It's all an optical illusion. But even as someone walking, you'd get tricked into thinking that somehow there's a magnetic pull pulling you up the hill. Banff, Alberta. Jump right over Manitoba and Saskatchewan. Sorry, guys. And I know there's great things to do and see there for sure. But, you know, Banff, Alberta, really, Rocky Mountains, the foothills, all of that. Williams Lodge in Alberta as well, fully accessible. They're just rebuilding that whole thing. But there's nothing more amazing than the Rocky Mountains and the trains going around the mountains and through them and over them. You know, it's just so much history. And the water is just this brilliant blue. So if you have any light perception and color perception, you'll see the Bow River and Lake Louise. And they're just glorious in the way they reflect the sunlight. It's all ground down granite from the mountains, reflecting the light from the sky. If you go to Lake Louise, the lodge there, and you go up the ski lift to the top, there's a museum. And they have all sorts of taxidermy animals, cougars and eagles. And they let me touch them all. I mean, how cool is that to be able to touch a cougar and a wolf and an eagle and things like that? To That's on the west side of Vancouver Island. It doesn't get more rugged and beautiful than that. Great big rainforest trees. You can't even wrap your arm around beautiful long beaches that you can stroll forever and collect. Driftwood, if you want to do a little surfing, try your luck. Me, I'm going fishing and kayaking. And the added beauty and mystery of the area is all the great historic and current things going on with First Nations people there it really is a powerful experience. And last, but certainly not least, all right, this is maybe one of my favorites, probably because it's only a two-hour drive from where I live, Sandbanks Provincial Park. This might be one of the nicest beaches in North America. The sand stretches forever. There's no sharks. There's no weeds. There's nothing that can hurt you. You can walk out for It seems, you know, one sandbank and then it drips down, and another sandbank. Every time you go up a hump and then come back down, it gets a little bit deeper. But the water is beautiful, it's fresh. You can stay out there for hours and play, you'll never be crowded. Go a little early, though, and now you have to book ahead every day to get your spot to get your right to go into the park as well. They have different beaches, depending on which way the wind's blowing, you might want to pick a different beach, but there's always somewhere. Or you'll find calm or waves. Me personally, I like it when it gets a little wavy. We love playing in the waves, a little belly surfing and just goofing around out there. love sandbanks. There's no better place to be in the heat of the summer. Just bring some shade and lots of good, organic, safe sunblock that's not going to mess up the water. You know, a lot of the sunblocks we buy these days are really not good for the environment. Pay a little more, get the good stuff. Better for you, better for the environment. Outdoor tips and tech.
1: Six on your left, south, south, southeast, southeast.
0: Here's a tour of my four-wheel truck camper. I like this camper because it fits right in the bed of my Ford pickup truck. And it has a roof that extends up so you have all sorts of great headroom inside the camper very little time to set this thing up. There's six clips around the uh, top of the unit. It's an all aluminum welded camper. They're lightweight, durable, and very portable. 1100 pounds for the entire unit. There's all the six clips. I'm at the back door now. I'm in the camper, release the clasp here at the back, push up on the ceiling with this hydraulic lift assist up goes the front. And voila, it's up. Sitting on the flip flop sofa, full length. My buddy's six foot 5 can sleep on this. Flips into a double bed. The double bed over the cab pulls out into a queen size bed. Right across from me is a sink with a 20 gallon water tank, a fridge and freezer, a furnace, a two burner stove, fluorescent lights, and lots of storage cupboards under the sofa, under the counter. The ceiling has an electric fan. There's windows all the way around, big windows that pop open sometimes we bring the uh, truck camper with us when we go camping along with our travel trailer and then we end up with sort of a bunkie for overflow guests but here's the big news well for lily and me and the rest of our family we just took delivery of our brand new jayco j flight 32 BHDS travel trailer 32 is the length 32 feet the bh stands for bunkhouse so that means that the back of the trailer There's bunk beds for all the kids and DS means double slides. So there's a slide in the bunkhouse that extends the wall out and a large slide in the living area that also extends out, making the interior space a bit more than your typical 300 square feet. Here's some of the features I like about the new Jayco and some of the accessibility issues I'm still working out. At the front of the trailer, instead of a manual tongue jack to lift the A-frame section of the trailer up and down to put it on the hitch of the uh, truck. There's an electric tongue jack. Up, down. You can tell up, it's working a little harder. There's also two 30-gallon propane tanks under a cover right here at the front, and two large lithium 200-amp-hour batteries that are connected to my two solar panels on the roof. So I have 380 watts of solar energy being produced on a sunny days, charging up my two lithium batteries. We can camp in this up to five days before running out of electricity, but normally we'll run out of water first, even though there's a water tank that holds 80 gallons. Coming around to the curb side of the trailer, curb side is where the doors are always located. You never have a door of a trailer going out on the driver's side or the street side. No one wants to get out of their trailer and step in front of traffic. This one's got nice big wide steps that flip-flop out of the door when the door is open and a nice big grab handle as well. Inside the camper, just when you come in, there's the command center behind a door. So no little fingers can start pressing on all the important buttons. In here I have rocker switches that I've marked with braille using my six dot braille maker. So I can turn on and off the gas water heater or the electric water heater or have both the gas and electric on. I can turn on the water pump. I can open the slides. They're electric slides. I can turn on the inside lights or the outside lights. One of the things I don't necessarily like, but everyone enjoys it, is the electric fireplace. Now, I haven't figured out how to turn this thing on yet. At the bottom of the fireplace, There's a touch screen that if you touch it just right, maybe if I put some Braille there, but I'm wondering, I'm touching this front and it's not coming on. So I don't know how to turn on the fireplace. Here's a stereo system here with uh, auxiliary inputs, HDMI inputs. Why I like to have a stereo is you have the speakers inside the trailer, but you also have speakers outside on the curb side. And I always have some music playing some non-offensive kind of music playing at a fairly low volume but that means when I'm walking around outside I always know exactly where the door is exactly where the trailer is even if there's no sidewalks or paths leading to it I can just use my ears and find my way back to the trailer every time. All the lights inside are LED and run on 12 volt so very low drain on the batteries. The fridge and the water pump are also 12 volt. The stove, the furnace, and the water heater can all work on propane. There's an air conditioner unit in the ceiling that needs normally a 30 amp service, but I had a special adapter installed so I can run it on a basic 12 amp regular type outlet. Most of the plugs inside for things like coffee makers, hair dryers, and all of that are 120. With travel trailers, You have a mix of 120 volt AC and 12 volt DC. And if you look at the power panel located here, just below the stove, so there's circuit breakers and there's fuses. The 120 volt needs shore power, but in my case, I've added an inverter. So that'll take the 12 volt direct current power from the batteries and turn it back into 120 volt. And that way the batteries push power back into the whole system and all my 120 volt AC plugs come back to life. Now, if I ran the air conditioner on my two 200 amp batteries, it would only last for about an hour. But you can run the coffee maker, the microwave, and the TV. Something else that's given me a little bit of grief on this trailer, I've always had thermostats that control the air conditioner and the furnace, but this one is a touch sensitive screen. So one tap, will turn on the fan, two taps, the air conditioning, a third tap will turn on the furnace and a fourth tap turns everything off. I can manage that, but I'm looking into whether I can exchange this thermostat with a talking thermostat like that one I have in my house. The solar battery charge controller also has a visual display, but I have a talking voltmeter so I can always check the levels of the battery myself. One thing I like about this new Jayco a lot, other than the fact that it can sleep 10 people comfortably, is the outdoor kitchen. This outdoor kitchen has a big flip-up door that lifts the wall up and out of the way. I'll just open up the latches here and lift this up here. There we go, flipping up and, whoa, there it goes, okay. I'm underneath and I'm standing in front of the uh, outdoor kitchen. It's about two and a half meters wide. I've got a fridge here, I've got a sink, hot and cold running water. I've got a Blackstone griddle and I've got a Camp Chef two burner camp stove. Everything I need to cook outdoors. I love it. Last thing though, and I've never had one of these before, this is a first. A propane fire pit. A lot of campgrounds now and a lot of times in the summer, there's fire bans. They don't apply to propane fire pits. Also, You don't want to be carrying wood with you from one campground to another. You can be transporting pests that are going to destroy the local forest. And sometimes when you're camping for several weeks in a row, you don't want to have a campfire every night and end up with all your clothes smelling like smoke. When you don't have a washer dryer, can't wait for the camping season to start. I'll keep you guys posted. there's a time for tenting, and a time for overlanding, and a time for car camping, and there's a time for just setting up the trailer and taking it easy. You pick the one that works best for you. Yeah, a lot of it comes down to money. You know, the first thing maybe is just a sleeping bag and a bedroll and a tent. You can spend as much money or as little money as you want. The main thing is, what do you want to do with it? If you're going to take it canoe camping, you want to go lightweight as much as possible. But if you're car camping, you can glamp it up, you know. Get the inflatable mattresses and the giant tents and tables and chairs. And you can bring everything when you're car camping. I love doing all that. Now I've stepped it up a little more. I have a camper on the back of my truck. You heard all about it. You know, this is just an amazing machine for me to just have on the back of the truck. You can go not off-road, but overland. You can go down some of these Logging roads, and you don't have to worry about am I going to be able to turn around? Is there going to be big divots in the road, and humps, and washouts, and things like that? Hey, we have four wheel drive on the truck, we're not going to get stuck, but we are going to be able to go places that we wouldn't be able to go if we were towing a trailer. And that's my last thing I love the trailer idea. We've been doing that, well, to be honest, been doing that all my life. You know, started with my mom and dad with tent trailers and then moved on up the travel trailers personally i've owned three now first one i had was in 2006 then in 2012 and now in 2022 it's not because i get tired of them it's more that i need a trailer that fits my needs for the times you know the first trailer we had we had lots of little tiny babies and kids so having lots of beds was important not so much room on the floor to walk around. The next one we had was much more mobile, lightweight, and we dragged that all over North America. I think our longest trip was 90 days and 16,000 kilometers. Now we've decided to go to more of a cottage feel. We're not going to take those long trips anymore. Gas is expensive and uh, we have grandchildren we want to visit in different parts of Quebec and Ontario And a few favorite places we just love to go over and over again. You know, you really don't have to go far to have a good time camping. There's so much nearby. Just take the time, slow down, and explore. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments on your podcast provider's site so other people will learn about our new show. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. I want to thank Nazrin Abdel Majid, Sam Robinson, and Paula Denine. They're my technicians. The manager of AMI Audio is Andy Frank. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit ami.ca.